everyone, this is Katie from Maximum Edge, a CIC based in the UK, aimed at strengthening communities and the people within them. You can find us online at www.maximumedge.org.uk. We're also on YouTube, Twitter, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Udemy and Facebook. On today's episode, I sat and talked to Dave Sheridan. Dave's a personal development coach who runs two successful businesses, Maximum Edge CIC and Executive Solutions for You. We talked about the role of a coach, the role of personal development, we went into mindset, self-talk, and also we looked at behaviours. We touched upon how people can start transitioning back into the in inverted commas, normal lives after the COVID epidemic. A great listen. Loads of good takeaways in here today. Thanks very much, everyone. I hope you enjoy it. Please subscribe, leave some feedback, and we'll see you next time. You had a conversation with Martin a few weeks ago. You, you were talking about the book, Who Moved My Cheese? Yes, I was, yeah. The first thing I sort of want to discuss is that, I mean, that's a book that I read maybe going back like seven or eight years ago, and I think you actually recommended it to me and gifted it to me. Yeah. And it's only a small little book in it, and we'll get on to what it says in a minute, but how important are the concepts and the ideas in that book? How relevant and important are they now in the current situation that we find ourselves in? <clears throat> well, I think I've got. Again, going back to what, what I do professionally, I've got two heads on with it. I've got the corporate and the business side of the coaching, what we do. And obviously included in that is executive coaching and, and group days and various things like that. And then on the max, we've got the community element. And I think this what it's highlighted to me, going back to the book, is is how, how people cope, really, when they've had the livelihoods affected yeah. Through, yeah. through an external source that nobody could ever have thought it would be this impacted. So I think mean, when you look at Martin was on about some of the clients that he'd had and how they'd been coping. And that's why I recommended the book that he read the book and he'd yeah. not done yeah. around the, the metaphor for the cheese and, people just put in the life around the role and the job, what they do. And that gives them a, a lifestyle and it, and it gives a settlement in the life. And then the focus, the, the external focus then is around hobbies and training and various things. Yeah. Um, but the livelihood and the job provides the, um, the resources for all that, including the materialistic things like houses and cars and things. Yeah, yeah, I, I think as soon as as soon as the prime minister basically said, right, we're all on lockdown. Um, there's a percentage of the of the clients that I'm coaching with in both areas, from a metaphor point of view, had their cheese moved. Yeah, they got yeah. up one morning and and it was all gone. And then there's an, almost an emotional roller coaster then around how, how do I cope with this? Mm-hmm. Um, what do I do? Panic, self-talk, all that elements of it. So that was that was the beginning of the, the conversation with Martin. Yeah, and I think that's part of like your work and something that I'm obviously really interested in is is how people cope with change. 
because yeah. life is changing it, constantly changing. And yeah. a, a quote that I often use by Tony Robbins, and it's something that I've used on some of the podcasts I've done for you, is the quality of your life is directly proportionate to how much change you can handle and uncertainty. Yeah. If you're not good at handling change, then you're not gonna you're gonna have a pretty miserable life, aren't you? Yeah, and I, and I think it, it's it's all it's all individual. So so it goes I, a lot of it comes from me with the from socialization how you brought up, you know, and, and and the influences on you in your formative years. Yeah, we link directly into the quantity and the quality of of resistance that you've got to various things. So I'll sit down with clients constantly. And it makes me laugh, really. Obviously, there's a humorous side of my job as well. And then you discuss where, you know, the, the biggest thing is IT, you know, and, and it's like, you're going to I'll go in businesses and they'll have a new IT system and they're just blaming computers. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's really it's just quite humorous when you see people, how they cope with, with change. There's a blame factor there. Yeah. And obviously, you've got probably a two-foot piece of plastic with a load of metal in it. And they're going, that's, that's it, it's that fault, it's going to be more work. And, and it's it, it's just, again, it's very it's very interesting when you look across. So so I, I always say to clients when they're in that mode, um, we, we, we all have changes. If it's a change that we, we've, we process and we like, yeah. it's called yeah. a surprise. If it's the process or something that we process that we don't like, we call it a problem. Right. Yeah. But it's still change. Yeah. It's yeah. just the fact that we, we, we process it differently when we call it a problem, when it impacts on us, rather than if it's a surprise. You know, yeah, so, yeah. so it's the language that we use to describe it. Yeah. It is. And I was, I was talking with a client last week and um, he, he, he was. He, he was he was laughing because he, he, he gave me an example, which, again, you've got to find humour in things. And I think there's a lot of seriousness around us at present. I'm not being flippant with the humour, but it does help people to move on and help people to cope. Mm-hmm. But he's like, you know, I'm sat, he'd been sat in his car and he'd been driving. So he's, he's, he's carrying on commuting and doing the work that he does. And he just, he, he, for some reason, he just focused on what he was having for his tea. Now, I was laughing at it because it was like, it was his favourite meal, and he said it was spagbol. So he's, he's he's focusing all day, and I'm looking forward to going home and being spagbol. And then when he walked through the door, um, the mints hadn't defrosted. There was a reason for it. And his wife basically said, we're on curry and rice. Right. So he was like, he said, the, the impact that had on me was weird after the conversations I'd had, because he was like, why am I being disappointed here? Well, what's that about self-talk, asking yourself? And then he went back to the, the first conversation me and you started with, the book, Who Made My Cheese? Right. It was like, I need to be more flexible and not as tunnel-visioned with the stuff that I'm expecting coming up. Right. And he said, that was just an example where my wife hasn't seen me all day. She's worried about me because of all the, the CV stuff that's going on. Um, I come through the door, and, and instead of getting the smiley face, she ends up like receiving a bit of a grump, which would be, oh, I thought it was on Spagwell. <laughs> so what it's done with him is it heightened how he was reacting to the various things. Yeah. yeah. What we do in pressure. We latch onto things. You know, so he'd, he'd, 
he'd have, he'd, he definitely had uncertainty in his job. He was going out. He knew his family was worried about him. So he told me he latched on to the safety of Kawigarov and have a nice tea. And when that didn't turn out the way he wanted, that made his head fall off, fall off like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, he, and it's got nothing to do with spank ball. It's got nothing to do with curry and rice. Yeah, of course. It's him and his thought processes of what he's latching on to during the course of the day. Right, yeah. And again, that comes down to like stuff we've spoke about, and it's something that, especially over this period we've been isolated and stuff, and stuff that I've done in the past, your self-talk, and what you tell yourself, the stories that you tell yourself. Yeah. I've been obsessed with a, a book recently, the, the Science of Storytelling. Mm. And people will get bored, because I've mentioned this a few times, but it's it's about the, the psychology behind the, the way we tell stories and our upbringing and how we form an identity. But it also goes into the theory of how you literally write a fiction book and how mm. the two are intermingled. So I've been really really conscious of what my self-talk has been like, especially doing these podcasts, being filmed, being on video. Yeah. Yourself, what am I saying to myself? And I don't think people realise, or some people might not realise listening to this, they actually talk to themselves in the first place. Yeah. We, 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 me and Martin and, and another lad who you probably interviewed, Gaz, we, we did a corporate job um, probably six weeks ago now. And... Um, I call it, I, I do a, a an icebreaker at the beginning called Story Cubes. Right. So story Cubes is something that you can, it's like a kid's game. So basically, it's nine cubes like a dice. Mm-hmm. And each side of each dice has got a shape on it. So basically, what you do is you, you, you ruffle the dice, you ruffle the nine dice, you throw them on a table, and you make a story up <laughs> of what you see. So so we had groups, I had a group, uh, two, two sets of, of managers putting together these stories and these 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 using story cubes yeah but then the, the whole point of doing it that probably took about five ten minutes to be honest and it was quite humorous and they all got to know each other and they had a bit of a laugh at it but the serious side of that is it, the, the subject was health and well-being so the information that we were passing over over a two-day period for those individuals was quite personal to them right. so, so what, what i created was a trigger word. Now, I, I did a lot of sports and stuff like that, as you know, we'll probably go into it later on, but um, you, you, when, you, when you're playing rugby or football or whatever and you've got, a, you've got a call, so you have a call for a series of moves and you call it something because it's quicker. Yeah. Um, I call them tr- the trigger phrases or trigger words. So I call this story cubes. So, so during the course of the two days, I said, don't do, a, don't do story cubes. Don't, if, you've, if you've understood something, yeah, I acknowledge that you've understood it, but if you've not, don't do a story cube and say you have when you've not. Mm-hmm. Um, don't come in in day two and say, yeah, I've read all that stuff you've given me, Dave. I've been on the podcast. I've looked at this and I've looked at that, if you've not. Yeah. yeah. So don't create your own story cube around your status in the group. Be, be, be honest within the group, but also link that into your life and your work life. Mm-hmm. So how many story cubes? And again... I've done a lot of work with uh, unemployed and at-risk individuals, and they're masters of story cubes. Yeah, you know, it's, it's always the it's always the boss that had it in for me. It, it, they never look at me being late thirteen times. Yeah, one of the things that's coming up is about cause and effect. We build right. narratives, don't we? So it's never us. It's something happened, and that's why this happened. And that's down to relationships as well. Yeah, you know, I've got corporate clients who's 
divorce number one, divorce number two, and they're heading towards divorce number three. Right. You know, and, and it's like, what's the reason for it? And they'll always say, it's work, it's this, it's, it's never them. Yeah. It's never them. It's it's always something else. It's, there's a, there's a, a complex story cube. Is that, because, is that because then um, it's so difficult to look at yourself, or is it because they're, they're not aware that it's them in the first place? Why would that be? I think the whole point of, of that type of coaching is to hold a mirror up and be quite sensitive that the individual in front of you mightn't understand what right. they're doing and how, what the thought processes are because they've never been given the tools to actually understand that. Um, so never make assumptions either. You understand as a coach, you're dealing with people's lives. Yeah. Well, the other side is once that penny drops, and you can put various things in place that mean something to clients that they can measure themselves by. Um, then you'll start seeing differences. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. one of the one of the one of the guides that I, um, I put with this client was, <clears throat> you should be finished at three o'clock. Go on, tea, wife, have tea. Uh, and he was like, you did exactly what you just done then. <laughs> he went, he just laughed. And I went, why are you, what's that? Why, why are you laughing? You know, I said, invest in your marriage. Yeah. Be proud yeah. of it. Um, don't, don't feel that you need to stay till 7 o'clock every night. But at times, and that comes down to time management and delegation, where, you know, where is the, where, where is the stuff around family? And I think that's what this, this COVID-19 has made a lot of my clients look at. As inside the inside the family units, yeah, and how they're functioning, what the relationships are like with the the the, the individuals who are around them, sons, daughters, some of them are living with parents, some of them are parents living with living with them, wives, husbands, full yeah. scale really. Do you think that'll be something that will be a positive coming out of this isolation or this COVID epidemic that people will maybe realise what is really important to them and not necessarily the material stuff, the, the the keeping up with the Joneses. Do you think it'll be more like they appreciate the family more, they appreciate the time with the kids, that all that kind of thing? I think in, a, in an academic world, I'd, I'd say it would be really nice if that happened. Yeah. But I think um, it's, it's, it's a choice. It's a personal choice that I think a lot of... A lot of individuals are driven differently yeah. than a coach. Uh, some see the materialistic value of things as as a guide of of their success. So a status, um, a status, but an, an an internal status rather than an external status. You know, so um, I, I've coached sports people who can go out and, for instance. Buy a new, I don't know, buy a new laptop. But what they'll do is they'll put that within the training regime. So within, you know, when I've scored four tries or I've scored five tries or I've scored three goals, well, I'll go and buy a laptop then. So then it comes down to self-discipline. So that's how some individuals that I coach use the materialistic world. Um, businessmen. You know, it's not the fact that they'll drive around in a brand new car. It's the fact that six months ago they said, if I work hard and I go and get that contract, that contract and do this. Yeah, so the real world. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's very misunderstood from outside looking in mm. when you look at it being materialistic, if that makes sense. Yeah, especially from the, what you're describing there, like a, 
a successful sports person or footballer. You see him driving around in the the latest model of whatever car, and you and yeah. sort of people society does have maybe a negative a negative view on that. But I've never thought of it that way. That it is the maybe the reward system that they've they've whatever goal they set out to do, the little steps mm-hmm. they took, wanted to achieve for that season. That is the reward at the end of the season. Yeah, and, and I think there's, I mean, when you look at a season for a sports individual, and I'm not necessarily focusing on football, Yeah, you know, there, 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 are, there are also seasons for business people. So when you get um, quarter one, quarter two, and quarter three, depends when your books finish. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you look in April to April for a financial year, from Christmas to um, Easter, is your quarter four. So what are you going to do different in that quarter four? Yeah. It'll get you reward. Now that might be a different location where you're going on holiday with your family. Somebody on from the outside looking in wouldn't see that. They would just see in August you go into somewhere different. Yeah. They wouldn't know they wouldn't probably publicise the internal um gains from that. Um quarter one from June in from April to say July, before they go on their holiday, are they setting goals there? Because I know a lot of them do. Mm-hmm. If it's Christmas to Christmas, and this is again different, if they're running the books from Christmas to Christmas, you know and I know some of the organisations that we've worked with, you know, they'll down sales first week in, Jan- in, in December. Yeah. They're in Christmas mode. Some of, the, some of the clients that I work with, that's their quarter four. So that's so important that they get the most out of that two to three weeks. Yeah. And it's difficult that, um, because, I mean, I did it with Max. I started off with exec. I was uh, April to April, and then after after four years, when we started Max, I put Max June to June, so that so that it staggered the books. Yeah, yeah. but it gave me different goals. My quarter fours changed completely. I see what you mean. Because everybody, everybody, it's it's quite well known in the profession as a coach that for some reason everybody gets out of bed on the 1st of January and wants change <laughs> you know what I mean I don't know what that's about but, but it, it, it does so it makes that, that role um, very very intense for the first probably into February after yeah I can you know the trends in your business really yeah uh, for me you've, so you've got trends across across the coaching arena um, you've got seasons you've got um, Years, as in books and HMRC and all that. Um, you've got academic years, so you, there's a lot yeah. of patterns that you look at um, that I look at when I'm working with clients and where they fit in with that pattern, yeah. including yeah. my pattern. Yeah. One thing that I'm, I'm interested in, we spoke about it maybe a few weeks ago. Obviously, through this period now, businesses have had to change the models, the way they work. Staff have been furloughed. Some staff are still working from home, so they've changed the way they do things. Yeah. That is going to affect staff mentally, the well-being, yeah. the motivation. So yeah. when so it's been like probably going to be like six weeks this isolation process if it if it opens up again after after this next next update. Yeah. Staff have come to terms with what's happened, so the body adapts quickly to anything really. So in the first week, there's all like the the grief phases, like they're angry, they're blaming people, but then you settle down and you you accept the role that you've been given, so working from home. We spoke about this a few weeks ago. When staff or colleagues are, are going to be going back to work, yeah. there's going to be a lot of issues around 
rituals, structure, routines, mental well-being. How can companies now start to think about what's going to happen when their staff start back? What can they put in place? Well, we've we've been asked by four organisations to put a series of two-day courses together right. leading up to Christmas. Um, and the, the threads of, of what business owners are telling me are around habits and triggers. Um, I've, I've called it the reset button. It's individuals going back to what they were doing after after doing what, what me and you are doing now. Um, there's also a convenience issue, I think. Well, it's very convenient. Walk down in the morning and you pass your own up and your laptop up and carry on working. Yeah, yeah. Probably less convenient getting up at five o'clock in the morning, two hour commute into Manchester or Leeds or London, mm-hmm. and then a two hour commute back. So I think you're right around change. It goes back to change what we've spoke about. But equally, the two days that I've been asked for put together has been more around giving individuals different tools like self talk understanding themselves, yeah. understanding yeah. what the role and what the job gives the family and why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of specifics as well because the four organisations are completely different. So so I think changing uh, health and well-being and, and is massive. Um, looking at tools for their own well-being, so the self-managing, yeah. Uh, yeah. giving them an opportunity to either contact me as a coach because that's all the businesses are looking at, or or, or the, the mentoring work, or the line manager. So some of the some of the um, some of the workshops are geared towards the mentors and the line managers as well. I've okay. upskilling them academically with some of the tools that we use as coaches. We're also opening the mind into it will it's how people cope with change. So is that going to be one staff turn You're running these workshops, so people are straight into it. Straight with the mindset stuff, the self-talk. So they've already got it there, ready to, ready to get back into them. It's it's been different. Um, they've they've asked me to cater for both, so that they're not in people's faces, really. Right. And, that, and that's quite uh, that's quite powerful. That because they know it's a sensitive subject. Mm-hmm. You know, so so some of them, I've uh, said, well, let's put a structure in place. And if we've got a structure in place, like you're saying, we won. We know where we are and what we're doing with that. But equally, others have said, let's let's give them a bit of time to settle in because I want to see how they adapt themselves and then if they're struggling, we can put it in place. Right, yeah. So, so they may come later. So it's not a... I don't think it should be a one-size-fits-all where you've got to go on different types of training as regards returning to work. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. In, in, the, in the third sector now, there's a lot of volunteering going on. And we've, we've been in contact with probably eight or nine locations across the region, either community hubs or food banks, who are providing a service for any anything from chaotic lifestyles and addiction all the way through to pensioners and, and elderly individuals. Nice. Um, and that's a, lot, a lot of that's through essential items and food parcels. So I'll give you a scenario. Some of the, some of the characters who are turning up at the food banks are, uh, are employed, but they've been furloughed. Yeah. And what yeah. we've found is some of them just want to help. They want to keep themselves occupied and they want to help, um, which has been really powerful in the third sector. Mm-hmm. Um, but what the third sector then are looking at, uh, 
large quantities of individuals who have not got a lot of experience in the community and are not used to working in, in deprived areas and understanding that listening is important and all the, the skills that we look at when we look at working in the third sector. Yeah. Um, so they've asked for some training packages to upskill the volunteers. Um, they've had instances where volunteers have turned up they want to help the community and within two days they're crying their eyes out because they're seeing kids go hungry and oh, right. yeah. woman's coming to the door saying oh it's terrible here and this 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 whatever's going on and they're not they're not trained for it mm-hmm. so through endeavor um a, a lot of individuals have been i think looking at the communities in different ways so some of the hub managers have asked me could we do some almost um, informal stuff around these in, these volunteers returning back to work. Yeah. And some are saying, I, I want to carry on doing this. I really, they've, they've got a call in really. So I want to carry on. Yeah. And then the hub managers are in a funny, a funny position where they're going, uh, actually, after six weeks, mate, you, you might end up back either in a bank or in a warehouse. Or <laughs> you're going to have to go back. And they're unsure because they don't want to disappoint and they don't want this period to be negative for that individual because they're giving the free time up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, that it's puts a different, it, is, it puts a completely different perspective on on the community, and that's for me is what I've witnessed as regards the massive merge that this has given us mm-hmm. from an unemployed people receiving support. And I'm not generalising when I say unemployed, but let's just say at risk um, receiving support of strangers and not wanting anything back. Right, yeah. It's, it's been powerful for individuals to accept that they're either furloughed or, or they're, they're working from home or whatever they're doing. If they're furloughed, then how do they, how do they, they occupy the time? A lot of intelligence, um, active individuals have been told to stay at home and exercise. And, and it's, it's difficult. So some of them have said, right, I want to go and volunteer. Yeah. You know, what I want to do two, three mornings a week, I want to, I want to deliver um, to to, the, to a food bank, I want to put some parcels together, um, I want to do some pickups and deliveries and I'll use my old car, I'm okay with that. We've had a lot of instances like that across the region. Um, but again, going back to your question, Dave, it's the flip side of it when they return back to work. Yeah. And I think it's, it's about, um, I, in, in, my, in my area of work now, I've called it a transition phase. So there'll be a transition phase from the, the COVID-19 growing and, and engulfing us all. And, and it's affected everybody differently. But there'll also be a transition phase where people start relaxing or, or being given permission to, to go out or mix or start involving themselves again with families. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there'll be, a, there'll, be, there'll, be different, there'll be different emotions flying there. Because there's no there's no guarantees that they're not going to get it. I know. I know. You know what so do you think? As a just as just us talking, like without any sort of business or community connotations, just just your own opinion. What what do you think is going to change now that we've had this COVID? When we go back, do you think people will be more? Do you think they'll carry on with the supermarket restrictions, like two meters apart and all that? Hardly, hardly handling money because no one handles money anymore for fear of yeah. the. the Passing it on. I think, I think there'll definitely be legacies. Um, I mean, I've got asthma, as you know. Um, there'll be legacies. So I would think with me and my family, if I got invited to a 40th wedding anniversary in October, 
and think about it. Yeah. You know, um, if I got invited to a wedding in August or late August, even if it was a small wedding, I think I'd be thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the effect that it'll have on, um, on everybody, really. Uh, I've seen a lot of frustration with um, individuals who are active, who, who have got asthma or, or, or any of the, the highlighted sort of areas that they've said stay in. Yeah. Um, you know, that's where we've been doing a lot of online coaching. What's there for them, really? Mm. It's nobody's fault. It's not a blame culture. It's not, you couldn't have brought this down in January and gone, this is what's going to happen. You know, so I think there's an element of, um, I mean, you speak about it quite a lot, really, of living in the moment. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I've not, I've not been personal myself. I've, I've, I've limited the time that I'm, that I'm taking in any information, either from press or social media or anything like that. Um, I focus just on me and my family and me immediate individuals that I'm with and what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. Yeah, because you can't control that other stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Concentrated on what I could do, what I can control. Again, going back to like stoic philosophy and stuff we've spoke yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. What can you control? What can I do that's positive? So, looking at doing these podcasts, these videos, we've been decorating the house. So, having routine structure. Yeah. Did yeah. you show me then? Oh, you have. Right? I have. Right. I have. Okay. Okay. A lot yeah. of working, still working from home, and that. So. Yeah, yeah. Okay, She'll come out of me now if she is this, but we we didn't want her come to compromise that we didn't want her weekends to be wasted decorating, you know, while she's working all week. So I do like the morning. So just before I've been on this with you, I've been uh, finishing off the landing painting and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the structure and getting stuff done. What normally you'd put to one side. Listen, I understand it, and I think it's it's quite sensible. I, I know um, part of the part of the philosophy around time is how do you spend it yeah you know what i mean it's like there's, there's there's different metaphors that you can use but how do you spend your time i think that's another question that people will start asking themselves yeah. you know yeah. how how have i spent the last five or six weeks because i've had the restrictions in, imposed on me um then the question will be in that other transition that i just spoke about how how will people how will people move forward? Will they? Will they? Can will? Will they not be going into various environments oh, as yeah. often? Um, have they picked up new habits that they value rather than the the external habits? Yeah. So, yeah. so again, you know what you're saying around decorating and stuff. I mean, you were laughing about it when you said we, because I know what, <laughs> I know I know Laura's working, and I just want to punch you on 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 film now. Which <laughs> too, it's you no, know, she she's doing her bit. And I think it's quite quite powerful that you're doing your bit. And that's what makes the house work. That's yeah, what makes yeah. a relationship work. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's just an example there. When you look at other families that I'm working with, um, sometimes it's a little bit, let's just say, lopsided. You know, and, and, and that's where the, the, um, the, 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 the relationship is tested. Yeah. But yeah. it's about giving and taking, and, you know, as, as we all know with that. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of a lot of memes knocking about like before when we was in like the first week of this lockdown and that of, of how many sort of divorces they're going to be through after this uh, COVID nineteen because people maybe aren't used to spending so much time with their family. So that's what I was saying before. Maybe 
it is going to change people's perception of again how they spend their time but understanding that do you actually get on with you you know what i mean are you enjoying the time you spend with your, yeah. your partners your kids it is uh, and, and, and that's part of the um i think that's part of the challenge there's a lot of reflective stuff going on as well around um you know i think that that's what will come in into i feel the decisions to go back to work will be you know, realize what you've got when you've not got it don't you mm-hmm you know what I mean? So, so we, just before you lose, or you think you lose someone, it takes on a whole new level. Yeah. When people come out with that statement, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And I don't want to talk, obviously there's people who've lost loved ones during this COVID. Yeah, 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 totally. But it's interesting that you don't know what you've got till it's gone. But it's only, in this case now, it's temporary. So eventually we might get it back. Yeah. So normally, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. You never get it back. So it's, it's, it's easy to say in hindsight, but now we might actually get this thing back. So it might make you appreciate something a little bit more, knowing that it's not gone. You've just got time to reflect on for this temporary time it's gone, but then you might get it back. So it might make yeah. people act a little bit differently. And again, Dave, that goes back to what you said before around how do we think we're going to come out of this? Yeah. I think that's, what, that's key will be how, how individuals start looking at a restaurant or a pub yeah, you look at it as well. It's just what I do, yeah. and it's normal. Or is it? No, actually, I appreciate it now. Yeah, and I'm yeah. going to go, and I'm and I'm going to. It's going to be special. Yeah, but yeah. then when you've been doing it five or six weeks, is it? Definitely, and I, and I think that's where a lot of the clients that I'm working with in all areas, the, the reflective tools that we use as coaches are so important to reflect back and reflect learning journals, you know, making journals, creating your own personal journal, all that element is not doing it. Strong around under it, looking back four weeks, yeah. and a series of questions in front of you. It will take you through different depths of thinking. Um, just general. I mean, one of them is like, you know, obviously I've just been doing it with, uh, with my son now, but it's like, you know, what's, what's your favourite music? What have, what have you enjoyed this over the last six weeks? Yeah. Now, with him being eight, it's probably what he's did yesterday. You know what I mean? <laughs> but there's so much stuff that he's done, like camping, um, reading, Peter Rabbit 2, Kindle, this. You know what I mean? There's a lot there. So as an adult, what I'm trying to do is show him that there are other things to do. Um, he's, he's rarely gone on, on the usual gaming stuff. We've got a Wii, but... He's, it's in a it's in a camp in the garden. Yeah, you know. So so the, again, for me, it's just how it's how we reflect back on it, and and a lot of business people don't have the correct reflective tools around them, really. Right, so is that something that's, something that's quite new to the business industry? Then all the journaling and reflective stuff, and I wouldn't say it's new. I, I, or just just being sort of accepted as this can be useful. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot there. Like, there's a lot there now that are understanding that the, the mental process of reflection that you can learn from. Mm-hmm. It's not just around doing it. So, you know, I, I, got, I had a meeting today and it was this, this, this. And then I sat with the clients and I did this, this, this. It's, it's more of a, an overarching. When, when you look at the theory of it with the question and it's taking taking your client through those those different phases of thought. Yeah. What's more important to them and letting them prioritise it. Yeah. 
there's a lot of generalized stuff out there and, and um, I hate the word you know when you look at goals and setting goals and this and that and whatever but sometimes that can get lost it can get lost in, in the reflective tool and looking and going right what have you done over the last 12 months let's move your business forward what areas are it? Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you ask yourself the question if you're intelligent you don't need you don't, I don't need phone you come around my house and go Dev come on and you yeah. go what have you done the last 12 months Dev <laughs> you, you know, so when you're dealing with in, intelligence individuals, they, they just need probably a bounce-off period as well, I call it, but a bounce-off period where they'll have all that information there ready for when I turn up. And that's that's quite powerful, that, because they'll go, I've increased my staff by four, I've got this, this, I've made this much profit on that, mm-hmm. uh, I've, got, I've got a really good team around me, but I think if I'm looking at growth in the next six months, I don't necessarily need that person as in a name. I need this type of individual regarding behavior. Right. But I want somebody who's really skilled. I want somebody who who, who is, has got a good knowledge and is a good, he's got a good, they've got good rounded skills where they could fit in and do little bits of this, little bits of that. Little, and, and then I'll sit with them and, and basically go, well, that's your interview process then, isn't it? So you know what you're looking for when you're looking at your interviews. Yeah. You, yeah. You're looking to create, ask the right questions and interview to get to, to so that you can form a, a good database of information mm-hmm. around the skills that you need to, to, to bring into your business. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, yeah. yeah. The thing about asking better questions is something that, has appeared to me more and more like the podcasts I listen to, the books I've read, the people I've spoke to, yourself included, Gary Fletcher, who we referred to before, economic yeah. then. That is a powerful thing, isn't it? Asking yourself better questions or asking people better questions. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think when you look at the, the, the questioning, look, look, if, you, if you go back to pure academic areas, the academic tools that are out there around questioning, around listening, around learning, teaching, they're all there. Yeah. They're all there. What you've got to try and do as an individual is, is, is mould it into something that works for you. Mm-hmm. That's the difficult bit. So you've got to mould it with, with the clients, understanding their personality, understanding their concentration span. Mm-hmm. So it can't be a one size fits all, and that's where a lot of the yeah. um, that's where a lot a lot of the general coaching things or models fail down because they're not personalised, they're not individualised to the clients sitting in front of them. Yeah. And a lot of responsibility for the coach then is to bring in a quantity of academic resources that that will help that are proven, but equally a quantity of personalised resources for that coach, which links into their life and their experience and what's used for them in different areas. So that's why when I'm out, obviously you you know me more than most, but that's why when when I started my business, I I didn't just want to be either a business coach because I'm in in business. Whereas actually, you're still working with people. You're working with behaviour. So, so then the, it's the cross, the cross stuff around sport, the cross stuff around the risk, 
the home office stuff that I've done, all that elements all comes together with a client sitting in front of me. Yeah. yeah. So there's the academic stuff that you can look at in depending which area you're working in. But then you've got to should have a whole host of other reflective tools, including questions and question structures. Right. That will support that client and take them to the next level of thinking. So how difficult is it for you to because you're saying that it's not a one-size-fits-all. You've got to cater it and tailor it for the individual client. How difficult yeah. is that for you if you've got, say, I don't know, you might see five, six clients in one day, and you've got to have a, an individual tailored approach for each client? Yeah. It, it, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. That's a skill. Yeah, 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 that's a skill. I think, I, think, I think part of the... Excuse me. I think part of the um, the, the the same the, the answer to that really, when you say is it difficult, it, no, it's not. Purely because I love I love what I do. Yeah, yeah. So I think when you're doing something that you're into that you love, that the, you, you it doesn't become it doesn't become a chore then. Yeah. So you know, so the, the learning side of it for me, um, I'm sitting in my office now and the. the yeah, I've got you on a screen and you've been in my little office anyway, but it's just littered with academic books and various areas from different things that I can pull from. So so I've got a physical note of reference here for me. Yeah. I don't necessarily use a lot of the internet stuff because anybody can go and get it. Yeah. yeah. You know, it'll be there and you can just throw it in. Go it's totally into the stuff. Why you there in your little office? You've got all those little wonderful books knocking about. Can you, can you pick us three books that you'd recommend that people read or that oh. change the way? Just three books. doesn't have to be the top three, but three that come to mind that are relevant. Uh, right, here we go. I'll, I've got, got one there. I'll just sprung that on you, but... No, no, no it's part, part of what we do, mate. It's part of what we do. Because uh, I just, I just, I know the kind of books that are in there, and I think uh, for people who are listening, might be interesting yeah. to uh, for yeah. some new books. I've got loads actually. Um, let's have a look. I've got, I've got things actually. Here we go. Three randoms that stick to mind. Um, yeah. I've got. Um, Stephen Covey. Ah. Okay, I know you mentioned that in the previous podcast. Yeah, that's so, yeah, yeah. people. Um, that's where I've got stuff from Matt Haig, um, Headspace, reasons to, reasons to Stay Alive and stuff like that. Um, I've got Shapeshifter Jeff Thompson. Well, if you think about it, this is, this is what I've just been saying. You've got Two individuals there that I'm on about that is like Stephen Colby and Jeff Thompson. Poles apart. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so you might get 1% of each one that might fit a client. Yeah. So so that's how I use the the um, the, the, the stuff that I'm doing. I've got Tim Paradox, Steve Peters, when you're on about self-talk. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a whole array of of my personal library of what I've got. Fear is another one. You know what I mean? False, false emotion, opinion, real, all that elements of it. Well, that's the third one, is the mindfulness one. 
Yeah, I think you've got. Have you got that? Yeah, we have. Yeah, yeah, we have practiced some of the meditations on it and that as well. Yeah. So if you think about some of the structures that Colby's got, um, are there? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They're quite academic because they always work in pyramids and graphs, don't they? You know what I mean. So, so there's all that elements of it. Thompson, for me, comes from a sporting background and uh, author, very respected author, um, has got uh, a background on the streets as well. Yeah. yeah. Very, very respected martial artist, uh, working with emotions and understanding how you stretch yourself with emotions and fear pyramids and various areas like that. Yeah. And then... You kid on the block comes along, call mindfulness. That mean you've been doing for years and years. Yeah. It's in context, but it's how it's put together for yeah, packets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I thought I picked three completely different ones, though, which that's is good. Good little uh, lottery there. But yeah, that's Stephen R. Covey. I did refer to that in a podcast episode I did for you recently. One of my favorite, favorite ever sort of like concepts and ideas comes from that book, and it's about going back to the storytelling that I was on before, but understanding before being understood mm. so understanding someone else's like model of the world where someone else is coming from before you try and put your point of view across or your model of the world onto them yeah and, 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 and i think as well there what that does that comes down to listening skills as well yeah. you know to, 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 see, you've got to listen to process yeah i don't get it quite deep with this now but, it, but you do you've got to listen to process if you're talking you can't listen yeah so I always say that in board meetings with people who are coaching who are running board meetings. If a person's talking, they're not listening. Yeah. So if they're constantly talking in a meeting, how much are they taking on board? How much are they listening to? Yeah. What I find interesting as well is the people, and I'm guilty of it myself, and it's only through this process of maybe doing the podcasts, um, a bit more sort of taking the classic jujitsu, so a bit more being up there at the front. I'm understanding yeah. more that the, the gaps between the, the conversation are you listening or are you just waiting for your opportunity to speak? Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. And I think after speaking to some clients, that's the frustration that they've found on on platforms like Zoom. Have you, have you been on Zoom? I did a, I did a podcast yesterday. So it's going to be published this week. And we, we use Zoom instead of uh, Skype. Yeah. And when so, I've so, seen it so, recorded, it pops up whoever's talking, doesn't it? Right. So, so one of the frustrations people have, have come to me around that earlier is that the they've got four photographs on top, and then the main one is in the beginning, the middle who's speaking. Yeah. And how often people try and talk over each other. That's why I just try to do it with you. You know, it, it's when you talk over somebody. How often does that happen in the boardroom? But you don't realise you're doing it. Yeah. It, it opens it up massively when you look at these these um, online platforms. It makes you understand that it's quite confusing when you start listening to different, but it's almost taken as a norm when you're all sat in a room together. Mm, yeah. So, so I think there, there are going to be differences going forward as well. Um, those sort of boardroom discussions, I was, again, that's me, just me with clients, you know, how much are you listening? Don't, don't perceive it as being passive and just not, not having a, um, not having an input into anything. Yeah. Um, you better see in four words and it making sense. I was going at it like a bull in the china shop for 20 minutes and everybody just can't, just forgot what you've said anyway. You know I, mean? I think we used to, um, so we used to run um, 
a team talk previously called Annie's Man Club. I know there's a team talk now in St. Helens over at Saints, isn't there? Yes, there is, yeah, yeah. Men's, men's talking group, no sort of um, prejudice or no judgmental or anything, just men coming yeah, together yeah. talking. And one of the biggest things that I found after facilitating those groups for a period of about 18 months was the listening aspect. People didn't want to come to hear maybe you tell them either what to do or it was just someone to listen yeah. and not offer anything back or signpost, whatever, but just the fact that you were listening, you wasn't on your phone, you was listening, you was sat there, you was present in the moment, there was no distractions, you didn't judge, you just listened so they could offload. And that was one of the massive, one of the biggest um, kind of feedback points that we got from doing that, that, um, that group, just the act of listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's... Again, that's that's what I'm saying about the, um, the breadth of clients that we're working with. That, that that's it doesn't matter if you're in the boardroom or or you're sitting looking at, at um, in a job interview. You know those types of things. Are, are you have you got those skills? Yeah. Are you aware of those skills? Are you are you aware that you do jump in? The, the, and you might jump in because of nerves, or you might jump in because you feel very strongly about something. Um, but at the end of the day, are you aware that you're jumping in? So every time you jump in, you're jumping on somebody else, and it's it's almost like platinum fog in the end. You know what I mean? Uh, it's, a, it's, a it's a very interesting aspect of the, of the role, mate. Yeah, I mean, even down to I spoke about it with one of the first podcasts I did with my mate Paul. That whenever you start to say something or someone asks you a question, what is the first thing that comes out of your mouth? Is it um or how do, you, how do you feel that silence? And one of the things that we got, I went on a media training package um, and it was, don't say anything, just breathe. When someone asks you a question, just breathe and then give the answer that you want to answer with rather than trying to fill it straight away with, um, or well, um, so, yeah, say what you want to say. And I think that background with the teaching stuff, when you do, when you do your training, you do micro-teaching, it's brutal. You know, when, when you when you teach a five minute session, and then you've got thirty people critiquing it mm. from your language to your body language to your to what you're doing with your hands and how you're looking and what your gait is, are you just talking to one side of the room or does everybody feel included? When you bring that up, uh, I helped you out a while ago now on um, a project that you did at CP United. And you did, yeah. Keith Keith was there as well. Yeah, and. Um, you delivered your your uh, segment of the the workshop, and uh, it was something new for me, so all new learning and that. And I was given opportunity to give um, a bit of a workshop on uh, visualization, all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know Keith had filmed it. Right, it's okay. So he, he let me crack on and do it, and the the session got delivered. And after it, he sent me this WhatsApp video of me delivering the session. And uh, looking back at it now, I cringe. I cringe by it, like. But I was, yeah. I was sat there, again, body language, I was hunched up, I was sat on the desk, mm. not not being comfortable being stood there in front of the class, hunched over onto the desk, sat on the corner, and my foot, I was swinging my me, me leg, and all you could all you could make out in this delivery was me swinging my leg, so that took the whole yeah, yeah, yeah. cue from the session. Yeah, it's interesting that you brought that up. And I think as well, because I was in on that session, obviously, but I, I you can be overcritical with it. I think sometimes I know the feedback that we got off those types of sessions 
was the information went was was received really positively. Right, so but, but you looking at yourself and critiquing yourself, <laughs> it'll make you cringe because that's what you're noticing. Yeah. Whereas I know some of the feedback that we got of the players that attended was really positive about the knowledge that you passed on. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah. that that stays as a norm, which is the knowledge that comes out of your head and, and, and you're delivering. Yeah, what you're yeah. looking at is you're not thinking about that. You're thinking more around the tone of your voice, what your hands are doing, your legs swinging. Yeah. And you've not got to, you know, you've, you've not got to be overcritical, and that's what I say with people going into this type of environment where you're stood in front of people. If you're not comfortable with yourself, that's your first barrier. Yeah. You know, I know I'm not going to, you know me quite well, I'm not going to be getting in school pants again, am I? You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so I think if you're not comfortable with yourself and you're comfortable in the topic that you're, you're delivering, yeah. of which I know yeah. you are, they're the first two barriers that people have got to come over overcome Definitely. and I'm the sound of the voice as well that's going to be on the podcast and stuff isn't it yeah. again it was some advice that I got a while ago you've just got to get over it no it's yeah it's it's repetition and yeah. we, we do a lot of public speaking workshops man and I think a lot of the I always say to, to individuals when you're rehearsing the public doing anything from public speaking um, you've got to rehearse in the mirror mm-hmm. you've got to tape yourself and you've got to record yourself. Yeah. You've got to desensitize yourself from all that emotion, what you're on about. Yeah. Before you can you can really start to focus on the message that you want to give people. Yeah. So if you've got a massive hang up about your weight or a massive hang up about your you, you unkept beard that you've now got or anything like that. But what I'm saying is they're all percentages of hang ups that you'll have and distractions. Even your clothing, yeah. uh, your routine, what you do before. If you understand how you rehearse and how you, you you practice for a presentation or a speech or whatever it might be, um, there's only a, a small percentages of clients that I work with that are actually nervous about the audience. A lot of it is personal stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm linked with how they feel and how they look and the message that they're given. If they're a professional, they know what the, they know the message that they're given. Yeah, exactly. It's just desensitizing themselves from the voice, yeah. the, the the image, and then the the the, um, the habits and whatever you do on stage. You know the, the way you move and the way you talk and does it look natural or not? Or yeah. is it you know you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean I've been very conscious of since that video, and as you know now I run run a, a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu academy, so I'm in front of the class. Yeah, five yeah. six times a week, and going back to your point, initially when I first started doing that, again it was out of my comfort zone. Um, but I was rehearsing the lesson before actually delivering the lesson. I was rehearsing the the contents of it, what the techniques were, what my delivery was going to be. Yeah, the, the points I'd pick up on the little details. To now, it has become a little bit more second nature, but definitely use that as a tool to rehearse the session I was going to deliver beforehand. Again, yeah, yeah, sensitize yeah. it. So get over all the little hang-ups I was going to have about my appearance or my delivery, whatever it was going to be. That act of visualisation and rehearsing definitely helped. It was massive. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. So just before uh, we start finishing off, because we nearly done an hour now, believe it or not. That hour was right. <clears throat> going, back, uh, going back to you personally, you've got all this 
I wanted I wanted to touch on the role of a coach, but we may we may do that as at a, at a later date. But how do you how do you you come in? You've had a hectic day at work. How do you what do you use to relax? How do you sort of escape? I know you love the work, you're passionate about it, so you don't see it as work. But how do you switch off? What do you use to switch off? Um, again, that's changed as 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 I've, as I've got older. Um, when I started my career off. I used to do a lot of physical stuff, so I'd use sports as a stress management. So I'd, I'd I played rugby. I'd do um, we'd I'd go kickboxing. We'd I'd do a lot of stuff. There, there was there was physically getting getting the stress out of myself, and then returning back into my environment a lot calmer. Um, I used to I, I I created a habit of finishing work and going to gym and getting rid of it. Yeah, I mean, I would say that that worked really well for me up to the age of thirty-two, thirty-three. Um, sadly, as as my asthma developed and the physical element of me, um, it's it, it's the age thing. Uh, you, you know, you you can still go to the gym and you can still be active, but you can't do what you was doing at twenty. Yeah, so so I took on other tools, um, other hobbies. To get me out, things like archery, um, reading—not reading for work, reading just novels and, and light reading and topical escapism yeah, yeah. reading. Uh, done some stuff around yoga, um, meditation. Not necessarily. I've uh, just recently done TM. I've done a course on TM, which is really good. Transcendental. Yeah. Yeah. No secrets. <laughs> can't do that. Can't do that. <laughs> no, it, it's it's just it's somewhat personal for me that um, I, I can and, and sometimes with the TM I'll I'll do it as a lever client, right? Yeah, you know. So I'll um, and again this is just me being a bit very a bit weird and odd, but um, I'll finish with the client. I'm sat in the car park. I'll put my sunglasses on. Nobody knows I've got my eyes shut, and I'll do a bit of TM for twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. I'll put an alarm on my phone, and they think I'm talking on my phone. Yeah. yeah. It's a personal thing for me, yeah. so that when I start my journey back home, um, I'm in a better frame of mind and I'm listening to a bit of music. I'm not doing any calls or anything like that. In between clients, I'll do calls in between clients, and obviously I'll take calls on that last one uh, as I leave wherever I'm leaving to, to come home. It's purely a bit of TM and then music. Yeah, That was a good little... Uh, you, did a, you did a series on the Max Edge podcast about like just two minute little little podcasts on the journey home, your morning routine. These little yeah. moments that you have to yourself that can be used for the reflection, they can be used to wind down, can't they? And it can be misunderstood as well, Dave. A lot of I, I know a lot of really, really dedicated individuals in the holistic therapies areas. And sometimes they're misunderstood because of the delivery um aspect of it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what mindfulness is. It's about unraveling your mind. It's about a technique and a tool to slow your thought processes down. Um, I, I was, I went to um, all confidential, but I can't say they tell you the guy's name. But I, I, I sat with a guy probably seven years ago, um, and he asked me a question. He made a statement and asked me a question. It was very, very clever, and he. he Basically said, everywhere you go in a public building, by law, you've got to provide a room to get rid of your physical waste. 
which is a toilet. Right. Well, sadly, there's nowhere where you can get rid of your mental waste. Interesting, yeah, yeah. And he said, what you've got to create when you're going in to various organisations is that you create a safe environment sometimes where people can get rid of their mental waste. Yeah. And, and then that, that conversation years ago um, prompted me to ask me myself the question of how do I get rid of of my hang-ups, my anger, um, my emotions. Um, I need to do it differently now. Yeah. You know, so so because it makes me a better dad, makes me a better husband. Um, it, it, it just, again, it's about being aligned. So I'm aligned when I'm in work and I've got my head and body in the same place. But equally with different tools that people can take on board. And again, the tools are not just one size fits all because I've learned this over the last seven years that you know you, you can come in on the door with your family and you can be aligned with your family so I know now when I need to be aligned being dad when I need to be aligned being husband um, I, I I was also very aware where I was aligned when my dad and my mum were here yeah. so, so with that when I was son yeah. So the, the roles that we take in life, what it does, it creates the um, the awareness of, of of what you you know where you are and what what role you're taking, and you you can do that if you've got the right tools around you. With um, you can get rid of, of the stresses, so you can be yourself. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to touch on before we do go, and it's something that I have conflict with in my own head. The role of a, I mean, I don't know what you, do you refer to yourself as a coach, consultant? How do you refer to yourself in, in your job? I struggle with that really, to be honest. Because, I mean, you must have it all the time. When people think a life coach, it's a bit wishy-washy. It's a little bit airy for uh, How do you refer to yourself in, your, in the job that you do? Because um, I know you don't refer to, you do not refer to yourself as a life coach. I know that. No, 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 no. Uh, I, I basically... If I'm with a new client and I, I work with personal development, yeah, that's what I do. You know, I, I work with personal development, so I'm not because because when you when you work across across the areas, um, it means different things to different people. So it, it's if I, if I go into um, if I go into a sporting environment and I call myself a coach, mm-hmm. you're thinking that I'm either a rolling ball or catch a ball or bowl a ball. Yeah. I'm not. Their terminology is a psych. All right. Psychologist. Um, if I go into, if I'm working with an unemployed group and I call myself a coach, um, probably over the last four years, they've introduced that word into some of the advisors. Mm-hmm. So they think, you're an, they think you're an advisor, right. as in an employment advisor. Ah. So the word, the word coach can be taken so many different ways. From a life coach to a business coach, yeah. So um, that's why I use. The, I do. I, I just explain to people. So you know, I, I introduce myself and I work with personal development. Yeah. And then that prompts a usually on what's that? What, what's that? And then it it depends what area I'm in. Then. Mm-hmm. So if I'm studying a networking event, I can go down that route. Yeah. Um, but also I can have the sporting. Uh, I can have the option if I'm in a third sector 
um, meeting and I can, I'm still working with personal development, lifestyle management, different terminologies that I use that will, again, it goes back to listening, doesn't it? Yeah. So I I know what they're listening to. So Mm -hmm. I know if I say something like a terminology like life coach, the percentages may switch off. Yeah. And and not listen afterwards to what I've got to say because they'll just hang on to that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, yeah. So I, I, I've been called a few things as well, by the way. You know what I mean? I've been called a few names, and, and, and genuinely, I've been in environments where, where, where it's people just don't, they don't get it. Yeah, which is fine. But then it's how they display when they don't get it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The, so, the image that comes to mind is always the the office, David Brent. You know, and he's uh, doing the Tina Turner, you're simply the best. And he's on the stage at the end because they ask him to be a, a business consultant or whatever, life coach. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just, you know, it, it is the, the role that, that I've created for myself with the clients that I work with is very multifaceted. You yeah. know, it's yeah. not just systems or the academic stuff or, or the... Um, when you see stuff on social media, you know, the, the, you've got the, the sunrise with the silhouetted individual with their arms open, all that elements of it, it you know, it's it, it's all there for a reason, but it's just not me, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I think personal development, the language that's used, personal development, I mean, definitely personally, that's something that would be like, hurt me years up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Certain life coach, it's like, uh, the, 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 the well, listen, I've come across so many. I've come across so many um, terminologies for the same thing. Yeah. You know, change agents. I've had. I've had one of them. I met a change agent when I was uh, when I was networking one day. Yeah. Um, well, and like, like lifestyle management is one that's used in like the, the third sector a lot, isn't it? Lifestyle yeah, management. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it comes. I think genuinely as well. It comes from not having a. Um, not having an, an officiating sort of governing body. Yeah. Where people can call themselves what they want. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like personal trainers. There's, you can get a personal trainer qualification in like a week, can't you, online? Get a piece of paper there saying you're a personal trainer, but... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, does it? So. No, 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 not really. Well, you might be a good one and you might just need a piece of paper, but I get what you're saying. It's, it's yeah. You're investing in somebody's life, aren't you? Yeah, of course, yeah. You know, they bring to the table what they bring to the table. You know, it's important. I know. So just before we finish off, mate, is there any takeaways you can give us that might maybe help us when we're coming towards the end of this COVID epidemic? Hopefully, fingers crossed we're coming towards the end of it. Uh, people starting to transition back into the the normal everyday lives that we went, they had before. Any sort of takeaways that people can start looking at, maybe looking at the self-taught, the routines, anything that they can look look at themselves to start to I think, get... I think we're, we're judged. I think a lot of it, first of all, I'd say we're always judged on our behaviour, not our emotion. Mm-hmm. So have a think about... Have a think about how you're displaying. So, so um, the, the, that transition period, you know, um, somebody who may be nervous inside emotionally might be displaying anger. Right. As we get yeah, right. now, I'm not going, I'm not going, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that. And it'll escalate, escalate, escalate. But actually what you're seeing isn't the emotion. The emotion is that person's nervous. You probably just not have the tools to express it. 
Right, yeah. And that goes back to what you were saying about talking, you know what I mean, about rather than... So, so, so there's, I, I definitely think there's that element. There's understanding how you're displaying in certain situations when yeah. you're asked to do something that you're nervous about. Um, I think there might be an opportunity, usually through those types of conversations, if it's back in work, is to, to I think, go at it from a, um, an emotionless level and ask the question. Yeah, to be yeah. honest, um, I think when you look at how when things start relaxing, once you start, you start building another sacrifice list. So a sacrifice list for me is because um, that's what you said about cause and effect. Um, if I start working till eight o'clock at night, my sacrifice list will be three hours with my family. Yeah. yeah. So how does that sacrifice list start building up again? Mm-hmm. You know, so so looking at your sacrifice list, I think is important. You've probably not got a, really a lot of your sacrifice list will be quite small now because you you're in and you're not doing much. Yeah. But as soon as you start going out, for every time you go out, even if it's family or what they're talking about, up to ten individuals, and because because I, I coach in different countries as well. So I'm coaching individuals in Spain and Germany and, and Spain are just coming out of it now. So what they're finding is a nervousness about going out right. and, and a nervousness about going into places where they feel threatened because somebody's just stood at the side of them. Mm-hmm. And some of the individuals, the managers that I'm coaching over there, I'm, I'm asking them the question around, well, how are you displaying? Yeah. yeah. So, so do you ask the person or do you remove yourself? Or do you just explode like a stick of dynamite? Yeah. You know, but everybody will notice the last one, which will cause friction. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think the awareness on how you're displaying, I think, will be massive. And also your internal clock and what you're telling yourself. Mm-hmm. And also the journals, the journals. If, if you're looking back over a week and you, you can identify three or four different scenarios that you felt uncomfortable with, of what you're telling yourself and how you displayed, yeah, and how long that that feeling lasted, how long that emotion lasted. I think that's valuable information to take forward. See you next week or the next month. Definitely. So yeah, they're, they're just quick, easy things that that you can do for yourself. Um, and I've even you don't need, even if it's and again I have this with clients. It's not necessarily about writing words. Sounds daft. That with a journal. Um, I've got a client who's dyslexic. He'll just draw shapes, and he knows what they are. Yeah, yeah. So draw shapes, and they'll do different things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's not for me to turn around and go right. You've got to write a journal. You've got to look in a mirror. You've got. It's not for me that. That's not the role of the coach. Yeah. The, the role of the coach is to hold a mirror up and let that individual mould the tools that you're bringing in that suits them. Like, it's like having a swear box at work. You know what I mean? It's like it's not the swear box. It's not the swearing. No, putting the money in the box. It's the acknowledgement that you're swearing that you can reflect back on. Man, I'm going to put four quid in that box this week. Yeah, I'm putting pennies in. I'm going to do a lot of swearing here. Yeah. Just some people forget that bit at the end. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Like, what, 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 what point did you swear? What happened to make you blow up? I mean, yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Many months so so was it on a Wednesday when I was working with Dave's early perhaps? I don't know. Yeah. You know <laughs> they're the what well, no, they're the they're the interesting facts that you can pull from from these types of exercises. 
if you just do them as practice, so you just keep putting 10p in a, bar, in a box and you give it to cancer research and you never ask the question why you're filling it. Yeah. It just becomes a norm, doesn't it? I'm going to carry on swearing and I'll just, it'll cost me 10p and yeah. I'll put it in. Yeah. Sometimes the role of the coach is to refer back and ask the question why, what, trends, feelings, emotions, but then how do you change it going forward? Yeah. Very valuable advice there, Mess. I think people uh, will take a lot from this, definitely. So we'll end there anyway. I appreciate your, uh, your time. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the uh, episode and the conversation. We'll see you next time. I hope you enjoyed that episode.